We're going to turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. We'll begin our reading with verse 26. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your presence that's in this place. Thank you for your presence that's in this place, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. To me, Father's Day is always a little extra special. Amen. Because we celebrate our Heavenly Father. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. God said you're to have dominion over everything, even the creeps, the creeping things. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 21 gives us more detail regarding God's creation of woman specifically. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And God took one of the ribs from Adam and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. Thank you guys so much for laughing. Thank you. I failed earlier. I'm, I'm glad you're, you're helping me out now. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They shall be one flesh. Um, speaking of getting married, we've got a special couple here among us. We're so glad to have Sister Betsy home from Bible College. And she has with her, and he was playing the bass today, her very special friend. Which here at the, at the refuge, that means they're engaged. Brother Drew Maines, we're so glad to have you here today. God bless you. And they plan to be getting married on Friday, September 23rd, right here at the Refuge Church. And we're excited about that. Amen. Amen. With the help of the Lord and with your help, I'm going to be teaching, preaching about nuclear war. Nuclear war. Say, what? <laughs> 
Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word that is available to us upon which we can stand sure that it is the truth, the word of God. Lord, in an ever-changing society, culture, with its fashions and trends, Lord, that is decreasing in immorality, increasing in immorality. Lord, I pray that we will find today strength and direction from the word of God. Help me, Lord, as the speaker, as the messenger to deliver the word of the Lord. We give your name all glory, honor, and praise. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen. One more time. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. I know he's not here, but I definitely want to give my dad high honor. I love both of my parents and appreciate, respect, and honor my father for training me up in the way that I should go so that now that I'm older, I don't depart from it. And I believe that there's great value in the godly uh, directions and instructions that were instilled in me at a very young age from both of my parents. So it was back in the 1920s sometime that an individual by the name of Bronislaw Malinowski, try to say that 10 times fast. I knew someone was going to try to say it 10 times fast. He was considered the founder or a founder of social anthropology, and he is uh, supposedly the originator of the term the nuclear family. The nuclear family. A basic definition of the nuclear family is a couple and their dependent children. It's regarded as a basic social unit. Wikipedia, old trusty Wikipedia, would describe it in these terms. A nuclear family also known as the elementary family or conjugal family, is a family group consisting of parents and their children, typically living in one home residence. It is in contrast to what you might see as a single parent family or the larger extended family or family with more than two parents. And there's, of course, all sorts of variations of families in the world today. We find ourselves for our key scripture in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, which is a word that simply means beginnings. So we could say the book of beginnings. A little bit along the same lines of how I preached on the day of Pentecost just two weeks ago. Um, talked about the pattern of Pentecost. And how when we look at the book of Acts, we see a pattern or a model that we could follow, that we could repeat, that we could duplicate. God intended his church to look this way, and therefore we could look back to the book of Acts as a model for us to follow today for the 21st century church. The, the, the situation really is the same. In essence, when we look back at Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see things that are put into motion by God at creation, he said, this is the ideal. This is the standard. Uh, 
He created man, and from man he created a woman, and he told the man and the woman to multiply, to replenish the earth, to have children. That when a man and woman come together, they are to leave their family units to become a new family unit. So from the beginning, God designed and defined the foundation for society and for all humanity to be an exclusive relationship of marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. And that from that union would come children that could be raised in the security and the safety of that home being trained up in the way that they should go. Stay with me today if you would. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the first appearance of the serpent. The book of Revelation calls him a dragon, the accuser of the brethren, the adversary, Satan himself. Genesis chapter 3, we find as almost immediately following, it seems, the marriage between one man and one woman, we find the devil shows up. Satan does not approach the man. He chooses rather to usurp the authority of the man as the God-given authority of the home. And he goes directly to the woman, deceiving her and her being deceived, partakes of a tree that she was never meant to consume. But this was God's plan. This was God's ideal for there to be a husband, for there to be a wife, for there to be children, for there to be a home, for Christ to be the center. We see in the book of Proverbs that a threefold cord or rope is not easily broken. And in a marriage, you see two of those cords without Christ. But when you add Christ in the marriage, it is that threefold cord that is meant to have strength, consistency, love, and is able to stand the test of time. God calls us husbands and wives to particular roles and duties. We see this in the book of Ephesians, and ironically enough, it is written, we know by the Apostle Paul, that we see no record of him ever being married. But God chooses a single adult male to be the mouthpiece of family instructions. from which we must then dismiss every argument that says that someone cannot speak into our lives in a godly way that is biblically grounded, that has not lived through what we live through. We mean no disrespect here. I may not have walked a mile in your shoes. I may not have grown up in the same house as you've grown up in. But if it's in the word of God, we see that as infallible. We see that as truth that we could stand on no matter what culture says, no matter what circumstances we might be living in or surrounded by, we want to make sure that we regard the word of God as true, as inerrant, and as something that is sent to heal us and to heal our homes and to heal our minds. And if you believe that, say amen. Amen. So we see these instructions, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 26. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself for it. He goes on with other lists of instructions, both in Ephesians chapter 5 and also in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6. 
from which is the same chapter that we get the instructions about the armor of God that we at the refuge know so well. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, our shoes of peace, shield of faith, sword of the Spirit, that we are to pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We see this arena of spiritual warfare that is presented to us in Ephesians chapter 6. But before we get to the details of the spiritual armor of God, of putting on Christ and putting off the works of the flesh, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, gives us several verses of family instructions. Why is that? Because the relationship in the house affects the relationship we have with our Creator. In essence, God, our creator, who instituted the home, who defined the marriage, who defined what the home is to look like, he said, if you cannot obey me in the most basic and elementary and foundational places of your life, the home, then really we have nothing to talk about. We, you have no spiritual ground to stand on that would be of any spiritual authority. Make sure the home is right. That's why when Paul gave instructions to those who would aspire to church leadership, he said, you must rule your own house well. If you don't rule your own house well, then how can you be enlisted to rule the spiritual house of God and the family of God? This is also why he says, if a man does not provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel, which means an unbeliever. If a man cannot provide for his wife and for his children, if he does not provide what the home needs, then that man is the same as an unbeliever. These are strong words that are coming from the Lord. Sorry, this might not be the message that you wanted to hear on a Father's Day. But they are words that are coming from the heart of God through his mouthpiece today that is fed up with a society that is degrading and is at war against the home, that is at war against the head of the household, that is war at war against parents in a home, that is trying to put at odds children against parents and parents against children and parents against each other, and he's looking to divide the home. Satan is still that same serpent that will try to crawl into the garden of your home and try to whisper lies into the ears of those that live there so that he could divide and conquer but here at the refuge church we stand firm today on the word of God and say not here not this house not my house not my marriage not my family but we understand that we are at war that we are at war and I, I'm here to remind you also that the issue is bigger than you it's bigger than you. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Everyone say marriage. He's talking about a marriage between one man and one woman. But he goes on and in verse 32 of Ephesians 5 he says this is a great mystery. But understand I'm talking about Christ and the church. That's what verse 32 says of Ephesians 5. 
When I'm talking to you about the home, when I'm talking to you about the relationship between a man and a woman, a father and a mother, I'm talking to you about something that is deeper than that. I'm talking to you about the relationship with Christ and his church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. They are different commands for those two individuals. The command for the husband is to love and to care for his wife as Christ does the church and the command for the woman is to reverence and respect her husband. They are different different processes or different ways of showing affection or love. Why? Because God created male and female. He created two different beings that are different, not just physiologically or biologically, but psychologically. They are different in the way that they think and see the world and process information. I shared this in, in, in my life class here just before the worship service. I was at camp this past week, and the speaker, the evening evangelist, was Brother D.J. Hill, and he serves uh, the United Pentecostal Church as the director of promotions for youth ministries. And uh, they sent out a survey that reached thousands of young people between the ages of 12 and 30. And they involved questions like, do you pray? How often do you pray? Do you read your Bible? How often do you read your Bible? Many questions about spiritual disciplines and church attendance and giving and things like that. But another question that came up was a question that was in the survey. What are your struggles? What do you most struggle with? And it had a laundry list of different things that you might uh, be given to struggle with or are temptation areas. The top three things that were answered. These are the temptations of our young people that go to church that are most likely born again of water and the spirit. These are apostolic young people, thousands of them that answered this survey. What is your most common struggle? The top three struggles were anxiety, stress, or anxiety, depression, and pornography. And overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly so, the ladies that answered the survey, their top struggle was anxiety and depression. Overwhelmingly so, so much so, huge contrast, the number one struggle of apostolic young men, apostolic, born-again young men, was pornography. And again, yet again, we find, according to research, that men and women, they are created differently. They think differently. While men are visually stimulated, we see that women are wired differently in how they process information. And here, God, knowing this, he gave different commands. He said men are to be respected. Women are to be nurtured and loved and cared for. Why? Because we're different. But he says, all of this that I'm giving you and talking to you about the marriage, he says, I'm telling you this because it represents something greater and bigger, and that's Christ and his church. He says the home should be a picture for the world to see that gives them a glimpse as to how Christ loves the church and the church honors Christ and his authority. The home should be a picture to an unsaved generation that there is a relationship that exceeds this world and goes into the next between Christ and the church. Your home matters. Your marriage matters. The nuclear family matters to God. Recently, there was a confirmation hearing for Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, which would result in her being seated on the United States Supreme Court. 
Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee asked the nominee to define the word woman. Jackson replied, I can't. And then proceeded, they, they went back and forth in dialogue. I can't define the word woman. Now while our Supreme Court justice chooses to declare herself unable to define what a woman is, and this is not, I'm not getting into a political debate or discussion here. That's not the that's not the premise of why I'm bringing this up. But I do believe that we are, we are at a juncture, we are at a cross-section in our society, in our world today, where people are refusing to define the role and the definition of a man, of a woman, of a mother, of a father, of a husband, of a mother. We've got to be able to clearly define these as a church family, as individuals, as believers, as saints of God that says, this is who I am. How can I fulfill my purpose if I cannot even define who I am? I am as an individual. I am an apostolic believer. I am a man. I am a husband. I am a father. And those titles and positions come with certain responsibilities in my life. And here today, I want to make sure that we can clearly define some of these things, starting with a father, starting with a husband. If we're going to celebrate fathers on Father's Day, then we better know what we're celebrating. We better know what that looks like. A father is a man who loves his wife like Christ loves the church. A father is one that cares for his children and does not push them to hate him or spite him. You, you could look beyond Scripture and, and see all sorts, like I've already mentioned, of, of stats and research. Child and family research from University of Texas said these two things about dads. Involved dads have a direct impact on their children's future. Involved fatherhood is linked to better outcomes on nearly every measure of a child's well-being. From cognitive development and educational achievement to self-esteem and pro-social behavior. Children who grow up with involved fathers are 39% more likely to earn A's in school. 45% more likely to repeat, uh, to, to less likely to repeat a grade. 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school, twice as likely to go into college and find stable employment after high school, 75% less likely to have a teen birth, and 80% less likely to spend time in jail. All as a result of an involved father. That's not a church survey. That's a secular college's survey and conclusion as to what the role of an involved father, what it results into. And here in America, where we live, there's a problem. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, which is more than one out of every four kids, live without a father in the home. And this is not because their dads passed away, all due respect. This is not because uh, uh, of something that is an anomaly. No, this is because there is a serious absence of dads in homes. And make no mistake, this is greatly concerning to God, and it should be to the church. Here's your homework assignment. Today, this week, I want you to look up in your Strong's Concordance or online and 
find every time that the Bible mentions the word fatherless. And it is very important to God. Repeatedly, we find that God has provision and measures that he has put into place to take care of the fatherless. And in these situations, by and large, in biblical context, it is talking about children whose dads have passed away. Unfortunately, we live in a place where children are simply fathered less, not fatherless. They have someone that participated in the conception of that child, but that has chosen a different path to take than to care, nurture, and bring up the children that they created. In August of 1939, Albert Einstein wrote to U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt to warn him that the Nazis were working on a new and powerful weapon, an atomic bomb. Fellow phys physicist Leo Selzard urged Einstein to send the letter and helped him draft it. Another individual, J. Robert Oppenheimer, he was an American theoretical physicist. And during the Manhattan Project, Oppenheimer was director of the Los Alamos Laboratory and responsible for the research and design of an atomic bomb. He is often known as the father of the atomic bomb. An atomic bomb, also known as a nuke, a nuclear bomb, an atomic bomb, what it is is, is a, a weapon of mass destruction. The sheer wind that is created from this bomb at its epicenter could exceed 500 miles per hour. Just the sheer wind will knock out buildings. Even a mile away, the winds are 145 miles an hour, not to mention the heat and everything that comes with it. This weapon of mass destruction that we have seen used in history, whether in testing or in war, that has taken many, many lives, is simply the result of the splitting of an atomic nuclei. It is a result of when a rogue neutron... And, and what's interesting, I'm not going to get all physicist on you, but an atom is essentially made up of three parts, three elements, electrons, protons, and neutrons. Electrons have a negative electro, uh, electronic charge. Protons have a positive electronic charge. Neutrons are neutral. But what happens when an atomic bomb goes off is a loose neutron, one that doesn't claim positive or negative, splits open one atom, a subatomic particle. You can't see it with the naked eye, but when it splits it, it causes mass devastation. I find it ironic that in the 1920s they called the family, the home, the nuclear family, the basis of society, and that the enemy has his strongest attack right from the get-go in the beginning or the book of beginnings against the nuclear family. He has come to defy, divide and conquer because he knows the devastation that it could bring. So Refuge family, I won't be much longer, but if you would help me preach. Parents matter. Present parents matter. 
Here at The Refuge, we are adamantly pro-life in our position regarding the abortion of unborn children. We are unashamed of that, but we are adamant about it. It is an inexplicably painful tragedy when any child's life is ended intentionally, especially when that child is at the same time most vulnerable and also most protected. The womb of a mother that is carrying a child is designed and intended by God to be the safest place for it while it is at its most vulnerable from the time of conception until the time of delivery. As the womb of the mother, so the home for our children. Ideally, children should have a loving mother and a loving father that are present, that are providers, that are protectors, that are teachers, that are instructors. If your family is a traditional nuclear family, your family is worth fighting for. If there is a mother and a father in the home, hear me, young people and children, your family is worth praying for. Your parents are worth praying for. Moms and dads, your marriage is worth fighting for. It is a positive influence. Make sure that you are warning off any rogue neutrons that are trying to come and split open the home. Why? Because your family is important. It has been probably, I don't know, a year ago or so, Brother Walker, you preached a message, and I will not soon forget it, where you, in that message, talked about your first impressions when you came to the Refuge Church and how you as an individual saw families like the Anaikin family, and with envy you looked at them and thought what it must be like to, to have a mother and a father involved and to have children grow up and walk in truth, and then they have children that grow up and walk in truth and are born again, and he envied that kind of, of, uh, of family and that kind of uh, loving belonging that he saw in the Anaikin family. And I'm not trying to, to embarrass anyone here today, but it inspired me because in that same message, you had that realization that you talked about how you realized that your children would now have that story, though he did not have that upbringing and he did not have that story of his life, but he knows that there is something that is changing course in the generation that will follow him, that he may have grown up in a single-parent home and his grandfather had, had to be the male figure in his life, but now his children won't have to have that and his children will have every advantage and every benefit that a nuclear home could have. And what I stand back in awe of here at the Refuge Church is his story is duplicated many times over by the people and their lives that are sitting before me right now. I'm here, as the Lord said, to command a blessing over someone because I know that you may not have been raised up in a nuclear home. And even the home you have now, you may be a single parent or your parent might be single by themselves raising you, but you can have a blessing uh, that comes with the word of God that says I can make a difference in the generations that will come after me. Praise God. I have watched, I have watched, and I've had a front, front row seat and witnessed with my very eyes. I've seen some of you and what your life was like when you came into the church. 
You were broken. You were wounded. Single parent home, split family, psychological, verbal, physical, even sexual abuse, alcohol, drug, and chemical and substance abuse you were coming from. But I'm here to tell you and just challenge you to charge you, to encourage you wherever you are right now in your journey of faith. Stay the course. Don't give up. Wait on the Lord. Allow him to lead you. Allow him to guide you. Plant that seed. Water what has been sown and expect God to give the increase in your life. Hallelujah. The enemy is after your marriage. The enemy is after your children. The enemy is even after your mind. He's seeking to divide, but stay the course. Keep allowing the seed of God's word to be planted in the soil of your heart. Water it with the tears shed in prayer. And let me tell you, the God of the harvest will command the blessing over your life. And he who was able to give double in the sixth year to provide for the seventh, he can give you double in your present to divide and to bless you for the future. Somebody shout yes. yes. Oh, what a beautiful family we have been adopted into. I had the privilege of, of walking several people during our mother's memorial rummage sale through the building. These are individuals that just showed up to the rummage sale, and they were curious enough to ask if they could look through the building and see the building that God has allowed us and blessed us with. And it wouldn't fail. Every time I took them through the lobby, I would show them the history of the church and where we started back in 2002 and to the present, but it never failed. It seemed like as I talked them through the history, there was one picture that would always stand out to me and that was the picture taken in July of 2013 it was our last service in our previous previous location in Watchtower Plaza and there was about 120 of us there that day and the diversity of ages of cultures of skin colors that were that were present that day that still is represented here at the Refuge Church I love the family that I have been adopted into by the spirit of adoption I'm thankful for the diversity of multicultural cultural church, a multi-generational church. God is bringing us in together to a, a family that is better than what we deserve. <laughs> I said the family that we are a part of is better than we deserve. Romans, I believe it's chapter 10, chapter 11. The apostle Paul says, and God has, he really tried with the Jews. And, and, and it was the first fruits there on the day of Pentecost. The Jews were the first to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the spirit of promise, be born again. He said, but, but they have been like their fathers and they've killed the prophets. They've rejected those who have preached to them truth. He says, and because they have done that, there has been a, a severing. In fact, it's in this chapter where uh, Paul, he writes, Behold uh, the goodness and the severity of God. Severity comes from the word sever, to cut, to slice. And he says, now you Gentiles, of, of which I am a preacher too, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. He said, I want you to understand that you were of a wild olive tree. You, you, you were rogue. <laughs> you, you were out there. You're, you, 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 you look up in the dictionary, dysfunctional, and, and there's your picture. You, you, you came from dysfunctionality. You, you, you were a wild olive tree. But because these Jews rejected the truth, God took you and he grafted you in 
into a holy tree. He grafted you into a family, a family tree that you weren't a part of, you didn't belong to, you weren't born into, but he saw fit because of their rejection. It was your acceptance. Because of their cursing, it was your blessing. He says, but make no mistake about it. If they rejected him and were cut off, don't think that you have this grace that overlooks every, every reason of, of sin that you're not going to be cut off. Make sure you take, don't take for granted the beauty of the family tree you've been grafted into. And that's where we are today, Refuge. As I close this message and we stand together, we are a part of a family. What we have here is a, is a nuclear family. And we are in the midst of nuclear war. I'm not talking about physically or naturally, but spiritually speaking, we are in the, we are in the stages of nuclear war where our society is trying to split the atom, it's trying to split the home, trying to split everything that God has set up for the good of mankind and its society. And here we are. I read, and it was brought to mind, the story of, uh, of Abraham. And there was Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Now Abraham, he had, this, he had this blessing upon his life. He was going to be the father of many nations. He was going to have children. He looked at a servant that was born in his house. He said, I've got no child. Is, is the blessing going to pass on to the child of an Egyptian? And, and, and then there's Hagar that, because they didn't see how God was going to supernaturally going to do this, they took it upon themselves. Their humanity conjured up a way to have a child through Hagar. There was Ishmael. But God said, that's not, that's not my plan. My plan is through a child that you and Sarah are going to have. And they had Isaac. And Isaac, him and his wife, they had a set of twins from the very beginning. The younger brother, the one that, was, that came out of the womb second, came out holding on to the heel of his older brother. God spoke to his mother, said that there's two nations here and there's two peoples and the older will ser serve the younger. She had this in her mind and she, she catered to it, no doubt. She made sure that Jacob had a way to get the blessing. He already had the birthright. You would think the birthright would be enough, but no, he, she wanted to make sure he got the blessing. So on this day, dressed up, Jacob dressed up like his brother, put goat skin on his hands, back of his neck, put on his brother's clothes, cooked meat to taste like venison and brought it into the father. Father, you sound like, like Jacob, but you smell and you feel like Esau. Jacob and his connivory was able to fool his father, deceive his father, to bless him blessing mattered that much to Jacob, to his mother. You read the story. Jacob leaves. 
Here comes Esau. Esau weeps bitterly. He's so mad. In fact, the next chapter opens up. Esau hated Jacob, wanted to kill him. But there is something in Jacob that realizes it matters what dad says over my life. We find later on in his life when he's going to return to his house, Jacob, he's on his way and he stops short at the river Jabbok and he wrestles with an angel and the angel says, let me go. Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Because it matters what is spoken over us.